Content warning. The following program may contain descriptions of violence that may be upsetting to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. The upper left corner of the United States is full of stunning scenery. Beautiful mountains, raging rivers, breathtaking valleys, and so much more. But the Pacific Northwest is also known for something more sinister. This beautiful land also seems to be a breeding ground for serial killers and others who commit heinous acts. I was born in the Pacific Northwest, and I've had a fascination with true crime since childhood. I'm here to tell you the true crime stories of the PNW. So grab your sweater and a cup of coffee. I'm your host, Emily, and this is The Upper Left Corner. Hallie would regularly show up to work with bruises on her arms, face, and neck. And there was even one occasion where she arrived with broken teeth. What had happened to her body is actually a process called saponification, which is the conversion of fatty acids into soap. The minerals from the lake interacted with the fat from the body, and the lake's near-freezing temperatures basically preserved the corpse for years. The car was located near a point known as Ambulance Point. And if you're guessing that it wasn't just named that for funsies, you are absolutely correct. There are so many great names in this one. I absolutely love old-fashioned names. I mean, I do have a daughter named Elsie, but I digress. Today, I'm going to be telling you about the Lady of the Lake. Since my listeners seem to enjoy PNW historical true crime, I was so excited to research this one. Because I have heard bits and pieces, but have never done a full deep dive before. It's a fascinating case. Instead of a town profile, we're going to do a lake profile. So let's talk about Lake Crescent. Lake Crescent sits about 17 miles from Port Angeles, Washington, in the northern foothills of the Olympic Mountains. The lake is over 600 feet deep, as scientists have been able to measure 624 feet at one point. However, Some claim it's closer to 1,000 feet deep, according to their unofficial measurements. To put it in perspective, the official measurement of 624 feet would fit the Space Needle, and most believe the lake is likely much, much deeper. It is exceptionally clear blue due to the lack of nitrogen in the water, which inhibits the growth of algae. Not only is the depth impressive, it is also 12 miles wide. The area has a number of popular hiking trails, including the Spruce Railroad Trail, Pyramid Mountain Trail, and the Barnes Creek Trail to Merrimer. 
Lake Crescent is one of the most gorgeous, expansive lakes in Washington state. Along the north side of the lake, there is an entrance to an old railroad tunnel, as well as the Devil's Punch Bowl, which is a popular swimming area. The lake was formed after glaciers carved out deep valleys during the last ice age. Approximately 8,000 years ago, a landslide from one of the Olympic mountains dammed Indian Creek and the deep valley filled with water, creating Lake Crescent. I'll get into some Native American stories about how the lake was made and also other mysteries of Lake Crescent later in this episode. And now on to our story. Hallie Latham was born in Greenville, Kentucky on January 7, 1901, to parents Finnis and Bunny, who were hardworking farmers. As she became a young adult, she moved westward, living in several states. Her first marriage was to a man named Floyd James Spraker in 1919, though the marriage didn't last and she would go on to marry her second husband, Donald Strickland, in 1933. Unfortunately, this marriage would also end in divorce in 1936, and she landed in Port Angeles, Washington, working as a barmaid at the Lake Crescent Tavern, where she met Montgomery or Monty Illingworth, a beer truck driver who had a history of being a womanizer. Monty was born on September 24, 1908 in Nebraska to parents Nature and Flossie Illingworth. There are so many great names in this one. I absolutely love old-fashioned names. I mean, I do have a daughter named Elsie, but I digress. Hallie was over seven years older than Monty. The two were married on June 16, 1936 in Seattle. The marriage was volatile from the jump, with fights so fierce the police were called to break it up on multiple occasions. Neighbors reported the fights were often alcohol-induced, and the topic typically involved Monty's multiple extramarital affairs. Hallie would regularly show up to work with bruises on her arms, face, and neck, and there was even one occasion where she arrived with broken teeth. But just before Christmas 1937, a year and a half into their marriage, something went very wrong. Hallie was never seen or heard from again after December 21st. Her work and friends were the first to notice, so they reached out to her husband to get an explanation as to where she went. He informed them that Hallie had run off with a military man. Unfortunately, due to her history of moving all around the country and previous divorces, many believed him. He would file for divorce less than five months after Hallie's disappearance. And interestingly enough, he didn't list the reason for the divorce as desertion, as one would usually do when your spouse disappears with a new love interest. But he listed incompatibility as the cause of the divorce. He then picked up and moved to California with a Port Angeles woman, a woman who he had been seeing prior to Hallie's disappearance. Her name was Eleanor Pearson and was the daughter of a wealthy local and also just so happened to be the roommate of Hallie's sister at the time of her disappearance. The couple lived their lives as if they were married, though there is no evidence available that they ever were. By this point, Hallie's family was concerned about not hearing from her. But at this time, there wasn't much you could do from across the country. For three years, it was as if Hallie had fallen off the face of the earth. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Blossom Boutique is a trendy online clothing boutique that specializes in clothes for women and children. 
Their graphic tees are on trend and quality made with relatable stains like their best-selling mom brain sweatshirt, all the way to a tie-dye dress for a night out. If you need a free Britney tee, Blossom Boutique has options. But not all of the graphic tees are for mom. You can also shop for the littles of your life. Fun graphic tees, cute sets, my favorite was the hooded tie-dye set for my daughter, and even swimwear. Go check out Blossom Boutique at BlossomBoutique.com. That's Blossom Boutique with an extra E at the end. And just for being an upper left corner listener, you can use code CRIME15 to get an extra 15% off. I'll link the site and code in the show notes for you. Happy shopping. I've got a true crime podcast recommendation that I think upper left corner listeners will love. Based on the Evidence is a mother-son podcasting duo that tackles interesting cases. It's tricky to mix humor with heavy topics, but they're able to pull it off nicely. It makes listening to gruesome details easier to handle. They cover cases with a conclusion, so I love that I can make predictions along the way and in the end have an answer whether the suspect was found guilty or innocent. This mom-son duo are relationship goals. It's fun to hear their interactions and personal stories. You start to feel like you know them. You can listen to over 40 episodes of Based on the Evidence today on all major podcast platforms. KPNW Radio out of Bellingham is now carrying Upper Left Corner PNW True Crime. Not only can you find my podcast there on Thursdays after the 6 o'clock news, you can find other awesome PNW content with shows about gardening, diversity, art, and much more. Head over to pnwradio.org or download the KPNW app today. And now back to the story. But on July 6, 1940, the lake was calm when Louis Rolf and his brother decided to take their boat out on an early morning fishing excursion. It wasn't long before they spotted something floating on the surface of the lake. Wrapped in a blanket and secured with a rope was a body of a woman in a green dress wrapped in gray striped blankets. The brothers hurried to the dock of the Washington State Trout Hatchery to get word to the authorities, who were originally skeptical of the men's report, dismissing it as a deer. But nonetheless, they followed the brothers to where they had seen the body and found a horrifying sight. This is going to get a little gruesome, but the way her remains were found adds intrigue to the story. So if you don't want to hear details, feel free to skip forward. Here are the official autopsy notes. Before them lay the fully formed body of a woman in her mid-30s. It was not bloated as drowning victims usually are. The total weight of the corpse was less than 50 pounds, and there was no odor of decomposition or decay. Dr. Cavani claimed, I never saw a corpse just like this one before. The flesh is hard, almost waxy. She must be nearly as large as when she went into the water. I'd say she is about 5 foot 6 inches in height, and she weighed about 140 pounds when alive. Sheriff Kemp gave the opinion, quote, It's more like a statue. The flesh has turned to some rubber-like substance, end quote. What had happened to her body is actually a process called saponification which is the conversion of fatty acids into soap. The minerals from the lake interacted with the fat from the body, and the lake's near-freezing temperatures basically preserved the corpse for years. Her cause of death was revealed to be strangulation, and it was noted that her body had been beaten. 
After the autopsy, she was buried in a pauper's grave. The gruesome details caught the attention of the public, and as this was the first body to ever be found floating in Lake Crescent, the woman became known as the Lady of the Lake. The lake has a reputation for being a cold, deep lake that never gives up its dead. However, the water had decayed the ropes that were tied to the weights and caused the body to float to the surface. Every body part that had been exposed to the water had decomposed, making an identification of the victim very difficult. She was missing her nose and other distinguishing facial features, along with fingertips and toes. Matching fingerprints was one of the only ways to confirm bodies at that time, aside from a family member identifying a body, which both were not possible. So investigators got to work trying to find out who their lady of the lake was. The initial theory was that she was a woman named Marion Frances Steffens of Chicago, who had disappeared in the Olympic National Park wilderness in September of 1939. This seemed highly likely, as the clothing found on the body matched the descriptions of what Steffens had been wearing at the time of her disappearance. Marion was a 34-year-old Vassar graduate and botanist. She had come to the Forks area, and after meeting some local residents, she decided to head for the Olympic Mountain area to collect botanical specimens. She set out in a borrowed pair of logger boots and headed into the woods via the Jackson Guard Station. About 12 days after she began her hike, rangers found a bundle containing camping equipment and food, along with a note stating, quote, in an emergency, the following were borrowed and belong to these persons. Please see they are returned to the proper owners. And then listed a sleeping bag, boots, packboard, and the names of their owners. This launched a search for the missing woman. It was noted by rangers that the ice field on the mountains was very broken up, leading to large crevasses, some as deep as 200 feet. And they theorized that she maybe had fallen in one. The search was eventually abandoned, but not because of lack of effort. The Coast Guard had been called in, as well as many volunteers who were expert outdoorsmen. So in 1940, when the body was recovered from Lake Crescent, many people began to believe it could be Steffens, and she had been met with foul play. However, this was ruled out as Steffens had suffered a fractured neck vertebrae near the time of her disappearance and there was no such evidence for the Lady of the Lake. Adding insult to injury, Stefan's father, who lived in Chicago, later received a bill for $151.65 for groceries that were consumed by the searchers. Marion Stephens is still missing to this day. With all of the traditional ways to identify the Lady of the Lake not available due to the state of the body, authorities had to look into alternatives. The body had a very distinctive upper dental plate that had a six-tooth bridge made of beaten gold. So investigators distributed the picture to 5,000 dental offices across the country, and this would end up breaking the case wide open. A dentist from South Dakota was able to identify the plate as one he had made years earlier for Hallie Illingworth. After 14 months of attempting to identify the body, it wasn't hard for investigators to put two and two together as to who was responsible for Hallie's murder. They immediately closed in on Monty Illingworth, who was living in Long Beach, California, with his new woman at the time. 
On October 26, 1941, he was arrested and taken into custody by Los Angeles Sheriff's deputies, and he was charged with murder. He was transported back to Port Angeles and put on trial in February of 1942. The story was so big at the time, it competed with World War II for front-page headlines. The courthouse was packed for the nine-day trial. Monty's defense was that the Lady of the Lake wasn't Hallie, and that she was still alive somewhere. But the South Dakota dentist was a credible witness, and Hallie's friends identified clothes on the body as belonging to Hallie. The most incriminating evidence was a storekeeper who said Monty had borrowed 50 feet of rope from him, and the rope that was found with the body had fibers that matched the remnants of the rope he still had at the store. Jurors only took four hours to reach a guilty verdict on second-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla. However, he was paroled after nine years in 1951. Monty Illingworth died on November 5, 1974, in Los Alamitos, California. In the aftermath, it was speculated that Hallie's murder was most likely not premeditated and was the result of a fight that had turned violent. Hollis Fultz, a criminologist with the Washington State Attorney General's office who helped investigate the murder, maintained that Monty had transferred her body in the trunk of his car stopped near where the present-day log cabin resort would be, wrapped her in a blanket, secured it with rope, attached the weights, and using a rowboat, dropped her into the lake. Many rumors swirled that he would have needed help to accomplish all of this, but no one aside from Monty has ever been charged in relation to Hallie's murder. Lake Crescent holds many other mysteries likely including the answer to what happened to the Warrens. In July of 1929, Russell and Blanche Warren were spotted as they headed home from Port Angeles, where Russell had picked up his wife Blanche from the hospital and also loaded up a new washing machine and began their journey home to a logging camp that was located closer to the Pacific coast. They were never seen again. The last witness saw their car heading west a few miles from Lake Crescent. Absolutely no trace of the pair turned up for decades, until 2001, when investigators looking into the disappearance found a possible washing machine lid of that time era in the lake. The following year, in 2002, they were able to locate the Warrens' car in the lake. But no bodies have ever been recovered. The car was located near a point known as Ambulance Point. And if you're guessing that it wasn't just named that for funsies, you are absolutely correct. It was named that after an accident in the 1960s when an ambulance lost control and landed in the lake, killing one person. The medics all made it to safety, but the logger who was strapped to a gurney in the back unfortunately passed away. Also, as I mentioned in the very first episode of this podcast about serial killer Israel Keys. He claims to have dumped two bodies in Crescent Lake that have never been found or identified. In addition, way before any of this, there were two Native American tribes who resided around Lake Crescent, the Klallam and the Quileute. One story for how the lake was created that has been passed down through the generations through storytellers is that the Klallam and Quileute fought at the foot of a mountain called Mount Storm King. 
Mount Storm King did not like that they were fighting and threw a big boulder at the tribes. But the boulder landed at the opening of the river, cutting off this access, causing the water to fill the valley, creating Lake Crescent. A Quileute storyteller has also passed along a story about a mist on the lake, which she had learned from her grandfather. They believed that when a person passes away, the good parts of them move on and leaves all the negativity behind along with anything that would cause an unbalanced spirit in the beyond. The darkness left behind is known as the Siako. The Quileute believe that the mists that often hovers about the lake are the angry spirits trying to move on. The locals claim that sometimes you can see the spirits of three who tragically died there wandering around the lake. So if you visit Lake Crescent this summer, remember to keep an eye out for the strange mist of lost spirits. And that is the case of the Lady of the Lake. This week's PNW wine that I paired with my true crime is Cave Bee Estate Winery's Cave Woman White. This white blend has aromas of nectarines with hints of tangerine and Meyer lemon citrus, with a bit of honeydew melon as well. This wine is crisp and finishes with a note of citrus. This is a great porch wine and paired well with veggies and hummus. Cheers and thank you for listening. left corner a pnw true crime podcast if you enjoyed the episode please leave a five-star rating and review and share it with a friend all of the sources for this episode are listed in the show notes and at upperleftpodcast.com while you are there check out the support victim causes tab to find the way you can help the victim's families or take a peek at my merch you can follow me on instagram at upper left corner pod if you have a case suggestion or a pnw wine recommendation please email me at upperleftpodcast at gmail.com Thank you for your support.